Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One of the things that I'll never forget in terms of how it feels to dive in Dunedin when you get your head underwater, it's when you drink or eat ice cream too fast and you instantly get a headache. That's how it feels like to submerge your face underwater and go down initially. So that's a, that's a feeling that's always stuck with me and how I describe it is refreshing. Kia ora and welcome to Our Changing World. Ko Clark and Kanana Ho. Uh, ice cream headaches. Definitely refreshing. Especially when you're used to warmer waters. Kia ora, Bulavinaka. My name is Namrata Chand, or most people call me Nam. And I come from the tropical islands of Fiji all the way to cold and beautiful Dunedin. Nam is in her third year of her PhD in marine science at the University of Otago. Her work has been focused on a specific kind of endemic red seaweed. Called Adam's Yellow Chauvigny, it's found in soft sediment in the Otago Harbour. Now, not much is known about Adam's Yellow Chauvigny, but Nam thinks it might play important roles in the harbour ecosystem, taking up nutrients and providing habitat for other seaweed species and marine creatures. She wants to figure out where in the harbour, and under what conditions, it likes to grow as well as how its growth changes throughout the year and what other species of seaweed are found with it. I catch up with her midway during one of her autumn sample collection days at the dock at the Portobello Marine Lab. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Thanks for coming. We're just going to swap some gear. Nam and her team have already been out this morning and she steps off the boat in a real thick dive suit with a set of bags filled with seaweed. These are the samples they have just collected. So I follow her to the tank room where the samples will be stored in seawater for now. These have just come fresh and these are catch bags we use for collections. And um, you can see just gooey black mud or silt. Mm. So this is what I call soft sediment. And people wouldn't expect much to grow in those conditions. But actually you'd be surprised quite a lot does. So this is... um, the red seaweed that I study and this is named after New Zealand um, she was a New Zealand phycologist and botanical illustrator Nancy Adams so she was a woman in science and I suppose pioneer for woman in phycology phycology is the study of seaweed so um, uh, Louise Phillips, who was another scientist, named the seaweed in honor of her because her surname was Adams, so hence Adams Yellow. And um, yeah, I've had people tell me it looks like crispy bacon blades. <laughs> and, I can see that. Yeah, okay. yeah. And you'll, f- and what I've been finding is um, depends where we get it from. The blades are different, so some sides will have really thick, big seaweeds, and other sides will have thinner ones. 
so each bag has come from a specific place and it's got its own little label that you're tying on there. Yeah, 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 that's right. And so you'll see that um, when we go to a site or place, we go down with five bags and at five random spots we harvest all the um, seaweed we can find within a square quadrat or a, it's like a hula hoop but shaped like a square. We put it down and get everything within it. This concrete shed area we're standing in has a line of black plastic tanks with bubbling water in the middle. Nam is emptying the catch bags one at a time into different holding tanks and moving the label from the bag to the tank so she knows exactly where that sample has come from. Some of the bags have more seaweed than others and some have some little surprises in them too. This is a very common sight. Lots of starfish. This is another type of creature called a chitin. Um, yeah, as we, as we pull it apart, you'll often find like crabs who have molted in it. I'll find midget or baby octopus in it. Triple fin, which is a type of fish. They live in it, lay their eggs on the blades, depending on the season that I find them in. But yeah, lots of critters in it. So now that we've got bags ready, we'll shoot off to the boat and we're headed towards Inner Harbour, which is closer to Dunedin town. Yep, we will do some collections. We head back to the dock, where the rest of the crew have been getting ready for round two by tucking into the homemade banana bread that Nam has brought. Bill, there's, there's stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. In here. Snacks in the bag. Yeah. Snacks uh, is such a, a vital part of fieldwork. Yeah, absolutely. Snacks and pencils. Yeah, pencils, yeah. Nothing worse than a broken pencil. Bill Dixon is our skipper for the day. Nam has been collecting samples herself this morning, but this afternoon, Will Pinfold and Joe Curtis are going to be the divers. We speed off into the harbour, closer towards the city of Oetipoti. Nam has divided the harbour into three sections, outer, mid and inner. And she's sampled seaweed from these three sections each season. While they've spent a busy morning collecting in the mid-harbour around Portobello, this afternoon we are headed towards the inner harbour, to sites that Nam and Bill already have marked on a map. We've got um, four sites here, Claire. And we come back to those exact four every season. So what Bill just read out was the GPS coordinates of those sites to confirm if we're on the right spot. And once we get to it, we drop a, a lead with a boy down with the tape to mark where we'll start diving. Rightio now. Yeah. So here. here. And so this stretches out for 30 meters, the tape. It's all hands on deck. Well, except for me. I'm sitting in the corner with my recorder under a big warm waterproof jacket. Bill has loaned it to me to wrap up against this chilly autumn Motago day. Joe and Will are doing checks on their equipment before the dive, and after she drops the boy with the tape over the side, Nam organizes five labeled catch bags, quadrats, and a little clipboard with random numbers on it for them. Team former in the water. What's that? I think it's former in the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Sweet, good to go. Good to go. They drop into the water and start diving down. The water we're over is not particularly deep, 
but it's a grey day and the water has a dark green opaqueness to it. As they first start to descend, we can see the outline of Joe and Will's light grey air tanks and yellow flippers, but very quickly they're out of sight. Nam explains exactly what's going on under the water. What they're doing is we've put a tape from the boat and they're going to swim along the tape and the bags are labelled with random numbers. And so they're going to swim along the tape, find that number, say the first number is five, and they're going to put the quadrat on the tape once they find number five, like a treasure hunt, and then harvest with their bare hands, just pick, grab all the seaweed within that square quadrat and put it in a bag. So they'll repeat that at five places along. The 30 yep. meter tape. Yep, the 30 meter tape, yep. While Joe and Will are busy down below on a seaweed scooping treasure hunt, Nam has got work to do herself. So these are bottles for taking water samples that I monitor for nutrients. And so nutrients are like food for seaweed. And I monitor nutrients in the water column every time we come and sample. So for every place that we dive in, I take three replicate bottles. So I just give it a rinse at least twice and then fill it up with water, making sure my hands don't get in there. Do you see a big difference in the nutrients between the three different kind of site areas you have? So we do. and. W- what we see even more is a difference in nutrient levels with season. So in summer, for example, we find that nutrients are very depleted or low compared to when it's winter. And it's just because in spring and summer, there's so much activity going on in the water column in terms of phytoplanktons and seaweeds, and they're all competing for nutrients because there's so much light, the temperature's right. So they are taking it up and that's why when we monitor it in the water we find low levels just because it's been taken up so much. So season-wise there's a um, strong pattern and you'd suppose like with this part of the harbour with fresh water coming in and lots of runoff because around you can see easy access to like houses, factories, so I'd expect that this site would have much more nutrients when there's a big rain event that brings runoff into the water. Yep, compared to probably um, Portobello or the Midway Point or sometimes the Outer Harbour. Yeah, so I do that, um, these water sampling every time we come and sample. And I also monitor for nutrients at Portobello every two weeks. And I've been doing that since last year, January. So we'll have more than a year's worth of data to see how the trends are in water. And ultimately, is that so you can have a picture of this is what the seaweed is doing and this is what the nutrients are doing? Yep, exactly. Yep. In order to understand what the seaweed is doing, it's important to understand how the water quality affects them or how the environment affects them. And the big players are things like light, temperature and nutrients that seaweeds use. And so within this area, I've got a place that I have loggers on, a light sensor and a temperature sensor that is sitting four meters under the water and we come and swap those sensors every month and then I go and um, take the data off it. We have a light and temperature sensor in this area and we have a light and temperature sensor 
in the mid section of the harbor, Portobello, and then we have one at the outer. And what I'm finding is in winter, the inner harbor is much cooler compared to the outer harbor. And then in summer, this place gets warmer because it's a shallow basin. So it's just so much, um, it's easier to get warmed up, yeah. Joe and Will are quick at their work and soon are climbing back on board with bags full of seaweed goodies and one unwelcome surprise. What's the end area? So there's one bag one with four drag bags, quite a bit of rock in it. That yeah. was the one that had the end. Yeah. This is an invasive seaweed that we're finding um, within the samples that we're collecting, which was a bit unexpected because they're mostly at large rocky reefs and area. But yeah, now we find that it's, it uses the red seaweed that we collect as a whole fast to grow as well. We head off to the next site. This one is close to the east side of the inner harbour and with the Portobello Road winding along the edge, we can hear traffic in the background. Nam learned to dive in the clear waters of Fiji, where you can normally see quite a long way. This part of Otago Harbour is not like that. So this side, when I first dove this, I lost my dive buddy immediately once we went underwater because it's really hard to see anything in these conditions. It's very silty at the bottom and then just the water in general is very hard to see. If I extend my arm underwater, I could barely see where my fingertips are. And it's like, I would describe it as diving like a blind man here because your visual senses don't work too much. and. On top of that, what makes it worse is when we collect seaweed, all these black silty plumes shoot off into the water. So it's like someone switched off a light in a room and it just becomes more dark. And one of the strategies we found is we'll just hold on to that tape to not get lost and just progress along very slowly. And surprisingly, one wouldn't think, I personally didn't expect things to be growing in this area because it's so close to the road in terms of its urban influence. And in the mud is very silty as well, but there we found seaweeds here. They are different from the other sites, of course, in terms of numbers, its size as well, but still growing here. There was one diver, Nile, he described that when he came out of this dive, he just wanted to go have a shower because <laughs> all that silt made him feel so dirty. <laughs> but the red algae is living there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, the red algae still um, manages to colonize or suppose survive in those conditions. We take a peek in some of the bags that have come back so far. We've got some seagrass, we've got Adam Zeller and... So in terms of the inner harbor, I don't see that many species, like different types. And generally I find low biomass or numbers in this area as well. Adam's yellow is basically the seaweed that I chase or the star of the show that I'm after. Um, it's the dominant soft sediment macroalgae within Otago Harbor and other species it's it provides great habitat for other things to grow on it and live within from animals to other seaweeds yeah that's the work for later sorting the seaweed that has been collected into the different species and weighing them to get biomass data 
for now, we have our last site to get to. Again, Nam pulls out a bag to have a quick look, but this one is covered in black silty goo, which quickly gets all over her hands. I'm just going to wash it to get rid of all their goo. Let's see what's left over. So that's that's the seaweed at MCLR. Um, I've noticed that they grow in terms of size. They're smaller here and thinner blades, but you can still see there's sea stars living in it. And even though it's just covered in silt at the moment, there's still seaweed in there. And you said this is a, a major habitat for it here in Otago Harbour. Yep. But do you find it in other places? So you find it, the species, Adamsiella chovini in particular, you find it throughout the South Island. So we've gone down to Fiordland and Stewart Island in search of this species, and we found it in Stewart Island and Fiordland as well. And those have been my opportunistic collections. For example, when Bill's taking the Polaris down there and we're on a research trip, I'm able to go look for these. But in terms of really being able to zoom in and understand patterns better, we've chosen Otago Harbor because it's much easier for monitoring every season. And there are other species of Adam's yellow. So there's another one that grows in Wellington, in Evans Bay, or in the North Island. So the North and South have the same genus, so Adam's yellow, but just different species. And why focus on this one? Why put so much care and attention into monitoring this one? So in terms of seaweeds in Otago Harbor, especially in soft sediments, it's a largely ignored area because most of the seaweed work has been focused on large rocky reefs such as kelp and Adam's yellow is known or has described to be a very key species in terms of it creates habitats for lots of organisms allowing other organisms to colonize it and in terms of being a seaweed and its nature it could be adding to taking up nutrients so in my in my eyes it is like the underdog of the ocean just lying beneath in very shallow waters but being out of sight and out of mind and considering Adam's yellow is a endemic seaweed that adds so much value by being in habitats that no other seaweed would otherwise colonize I think it's important to be able to recognize that it's here and put a value to it for future monitoring as well. With the collection done, we head back to the lab, where once again bags of seaweed get unloaded into labelled holding tanks. Later, Nam will separate the species and weigh them. Nam has one more season of sampling to do before she starts crunching the data. She will use what she's collected to figure out the seasonal changes in these red algae beds and how the growth and biodiversity correlates with the light, nutrient and temperature data she's also collected. I grab a cup of tea while Nam gets changed out of the dive suit, and then we meet back up in a little lab. Because before I leave, Nam has something pretty neat to show me. These are some pressed specimens of Adam's yellow, and pressing seaweeds is a long lost art in my eyes. It actually started in the Victorian era, and it was mostly females who would do it. and. 
this wasn't supposed to be part of my PhD, but I got fascinated and involved in it due to a brilliant advisor I have called Dr. Wendy Nelson. And she's, she's the one who's written this fascinating book called Usal in seaweeds, and she works extensively on seaweed. And so she showed me on the Polaris how to press seaweed, and it just becomes a really good collection and reference point for the future. And you can see that these are some of the Adam Zeller I've collected from the harbor. And this is the Adam Zeller from the site we went to today versus the Adam's Yellow from the outer harbor and the mid harbor. So the one from the inner harbor are not only smaller, they're thinner as well. So it's, it's a marked a, difference. Yeah, 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 it's a great visual. And you'd see also how they're not very clean. They're covered with crunchy, sort of crunchy structure. If you run your fingers along that blade, it'll peel off like sand. So they're something called bryozoans attached to it. So Adam's Yellow itself becomes a home for other things to grow on just because it has a really nice blade for other things to grow on. These pressings, how long do they take you to make? They take at least, it takes at least 10 minutes to do it nicely and then two days to dry it out. They're really Kind of beautiful. They're like little <laughs> they, works of art. They, they do look like art and I'm tempted to frame um, one on the wall actually, especially that red one. And for me it was a very good way, pressings were a very good way to study species because I'd get up close with it. I'd have to look at the blades when I press and ID features that really made, gave me skills of being able to, I suppose, grow my knowledge into like the different features and how to ID. I definitely think it's a long lost skill or art rather, <laughs> yeah. There's such a range. So yes, there is a wide variety of all shapes and sizes and also colors of seaweed. And I mostly have a larger collection of reds just because in Adam's yellow bed there's predominantly red seaweeds but you can see they vary from all um, shapes and sizes as well this one is very striking this big red yeah it looks yeah. like a really giant leaf yeah so it is actually called gigantina and i think i find how seaweeds are named to be very beautiful and sometimes it's like ah oh, that makes sense that's just one blade and it's a it covers the whole a3 paper so that's definitely where it gets its name gigantina from nam has gathered many different a3 sheets with the pressed seaweed samples on them in front of us different colors from red green and brown and so many different shapes this will be one of our PhD legacies for students to come. So all these pressings I'm going to deposit into the Department of Botany Herbarium so that it becomes registered into the collection of um, seaweeds they have. So the herbarium currently, the botany one, only has terrestrial plants, majority, and these would become the first deposits of marine plants or biodiversity that's coming in. In terms of the information I've written down, the name of the seaweed, where it was found, the GPS coordinates, who collected it, who identified it, and any notes from the habitat. So if you 20 years into the future, if you are interested in what 
the seaweeds of the harbor look like, you'll be able to go to the herbarium and find all these details about it. As we are chatting, Nam pulls out another book to show me. Seaweeds of New Zealand, an illustrated guide. This was written by Nancy Adams, the phycologist who was a mentor to Professor Wendy Nelson, who now supervises Nam. This is the woman after whom the seaweed Nam studies, Adamziela Chauvini, was named. She was one of the pioneers in terms of drawing out seaweed. So this book has a collection of all her illustrations of seaweeds that she found in New Zealand and documented. So she used to... They're beautiful illustrations. Yeah, draw it out. Yeah, so for anyone... uh, Some of them are so detailed. Very, very um, detailed. And you can imagine how long it would have taken her to not only draw it, but record all the characteristics as well. But you obviously have the same fascination about seaweed that she did. Where does that come from? I think the the fascination comes from being able to go out to the field and see how seaweed is growing underwater because that gives me such a deep appreciation for what lies beneath and being able to work with people such as Wendy Nelson who taught me how to press seaweed and she brings in such a huge range of experience with her from working on seaweed and I think when I had to ID the range of seaweed I had to stop and really look at details and go into books, go into older books. In terms of how I got to doing a PhD in marine science, I am a very visual person and I think being able to see seaweeds underwater, being able to see them on paper helps me create a visual picture in my head for all the patterns I'm seeing in the harbour and later on what the story will be from my daughter. Piece things together like a puzzle, yeah. Thanks to Namrata Chand, Bill Dixon, Will Pinfold and Joe Curtis. This episode was produced by me, Claire Kincannon. Thanks to Justin Gregory for editing help. Sound engineering was by William Saunders. Tim Watkin is the executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. You can find and follow Our Changing World on your favourite podcast platform. And I recommend that you do this so that you never miss an episode. Check out the show's website at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld for photos and links related to this story, as well as access to the Our Changing World back catalogue of episodes. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter there. And if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Facebook or Twitter, at rnzscience. Click on the podcast and series tab on RNZ to explore a whole range of different awesome podcasts and video series. Check out the recently released series Asia, Art Stories in Aotearoa. In this four-part video documentary, 18 Asian New Zealand artists reflect on how life in Aotearoa informs their creative works. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Kia pai to wiki.